Just James Horror Review. I am your host, Just James, and today we are talking about the 1999 film sci-fi horror, Virus. This is episode 26. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Just James. Today, Virus, a 1999 film directed by John Bruno. Gotta be honest, never heard of this film before. I saw a clip of it on one of the random pages that I follow months and months ago and put it on my list to watch. It's just barely making our marker as a pre-2000 film, but hey, it made it, and I'm glad it did because I fucking loved this movie. Like I said, it was directed by John Bruno, and he has a lot of animation production credits, a lot of visual effects designs and uh, visual effects supervision, that kind of stuff. He worked on a ton of shit, though, like Twilight, Avatar, Rush Hour 3, X-Men, Alien vs. Predator, the fucking Titanic. He worked on some of the 90s Batman films, you know, the ones that were cool. Terminator 2, True Lies. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about that film in a while, but love that action movie heyday type film. Uh, Let's see, The Abyss, really like that, and Fright Night, and Poltergeist, another classic. So he's done a whole lot, just not a whole lot of directing except for this film. His other director creds are just some things I've never heard of, and one of the animations on the old heavy metal animated movie, if anybody knows what that is. It's really old. If you do know what that is, awesome. Put it in the comments. You are one of like nine people that might know about that. So anyway, we'll move on. Next we have our writers, Chuck Ferrer. I don't know how to say it. It's P-F-A-R-R-R-R-R-R-R. So P-F-A-R-R-R. He wrote Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme for all my action people out there. He also wrote a film that maybe a lot of people know about, but many haven't seen. It's called Barbed Wire. It's a Pamela Anderson film. It's not a porno. It's it's a real action film where she plays this sultry action lady thing. I don't I don't know. I never saw it. I saw parts of it when I was a kid. I don't really remember much about it though, other than she was in it. So anyway, he was the writer. He also wrote this. I'm gonna say I don't know if this was in '99. It would have been in the early '90s. He actually wrote Virus and sold it to Dark Horse Comics, and they sold it as a, I don't know what they did. They either wrote a book of it or made it a comic book or something, but they actually didn't start the film until later because they said the technology uh, wasn't ready to make the film that he wanted to make You know, with this story. So I'm glad he waited. The effects in this movie aren't really that bad. For 1999, I mean, you know, it's almost 2000, so they were able to do some cool stuff then. It wasn't. Uh, it, it aged okay. It was a, It was a good watch. And the second writer on this film is going to be Dennis Feldman. So Dennis Feldman, he did all the Species films, which I like those two. I mean, they're they're kind of corny, but the idea is cool, and, you know, it's got some cool kill scenes and stuff. So, yeah. So we got some pretty good heavy hitters in this film that all can come together and create some good synergy for a really great sci-fi, you know, horror film that's a, a little out of left field, not just your cut-and-paste horror film, and uh, you'll definitely see what I'm talking about as we go through this. Notable actors in this film? I don't know. Pretty much everybody. Now, they're not all super A-list, real big names, but for anyone that watched action and horror films in the 90s, they are definitely our people. We got Jamie Lee Curtis. We got Donald Sutherland. William Baldwin. uh, Joanna uh, Pakula, which is... She was Kate in Tombstone, and she was Leslie in Marked for Death, you know, the Steven Seagal film. So back when Steven Seagal films were cool and he wasn't just this 
savagely overweight dude that did all his fighting in a chair. Have you seen those? Look up YouTube. Uh, Steven Seagal fighting in a chair and there's all these people that watch his movies and clown on him about how in all his movies now he's always just fighting sitting down and then when they highlight the different you know uh, parts of that in a movie it's just hilarious anyway check that out so uh, she's in there we have Cliff Curtis just uh you'll recognize him as soon as you see him he plays uh our Polynesian character in this film but you'll recognize him instantly he's played in a, a million different things and Marshall Bell now you might say, who is Marshall Bell? It kind of sounds familiar. It kind of tickles the brain a little bit. I'll give you one film, and you'll know who, exactly who I'm talking about. Total Recall, Quato. Okay? He was Quato. Well, he wasn't really Quato. He was Quato's character, uh, carrier, I guess you could say. But, yeah, it's that guy. Okay? He's in this film. So, anyway, that's a, a, a quick shoot of what we're about to get into. So, yeah, 1999. Virus. Let's get into it. So the movie starts out with a space event ship in the South Pacific, not really knowing what that means, a space event ship is what it calls it on the screen, but basically we find out that just means that there is a space station, we find out it's the Mir space station later on, but it's, there's a space station and it is like its main contact point out in the ocean and that's just what it means, so it's uh, that's what the ship's there for. Anyway, it goes on to the ship. Everybody speak in Russian, so we understand this is a Russian craft, and we meet Nadia, who is going to be one of our main characters in this film. So she's communicating with the spaceship, and it, uh, you know, we get a cut, we cuts to a scene of them up in the Mir space station, and they're just talking, you know, doing some comms checks and all this stuff. And and one of the astronauts looks out the window, and they see this weird static colorful cloud electricity thing just kind of floating around out there and it's moving not in any type of way that's aggressive or sentient which will make sense later it's just kind of chilling it's just floating through space she's watching it as they continue to do their checks and holy shit it's getting closer and then it gets closer and now it's picking up a little speed and holy shit it's coming straight for us well too late now it's already on him it hits the space station Everything buzzes with electricity. Things inside are just blowing up and frying and all this stuff. And then we cut back to the ship and all the video goes out. And right before it does, they can hear screaming and panic and they have no idea because when they were doing the checks, that wasn't something that was mentioned like when this happened. This was just someone just, you know, just checking, just looking out a damn window, I guess. So as this space station is getting absolutely just fried up there, the electricity puts itself through... Uh, I don't know, the spaceship somehow or the uh, the satellites and shoots it down to the ship. So we see that big electric cloud thing that was floating around, hit the space station, channel itself down through the atmosphere and everything else, and boom, hits this huge naval ship that, was, that they were communicating with. Now there's a lot that goes on here, and the story just kicks off right away. I mean, we're instantly getting some, some background on this, which is good because... The story does a lot with a very little amount of time, which is also kind of why I'm flying through this because I really enjoyed this movie, but there's a lot of things I want to get to, so we're going to run a little fast. I had like four cups of coffee. I'm wired. I'm ready to go. Ready so go. let's move on. The ship, the naval ship that's out there, is it? Is it a naval ship? It's a Russian ship. It's their military. Is it still called naval? Oh, man. I don't know. I bet that sounds dumb. Anyway, we'll go on. The computers down there, the same stuff is happening to the inside of the ship that happened to the inside of the space station. This weird purple electricity. It's actually the electricity looks like what comes out of the Ghostbuster guns in the movie. That's Now to think about it, that's exactly what it looks like. So Ghostbuster gun juice is flying all through this ship, frying everything. Everything's exploding. Sparks are going everywhere. People are flying all over the place where things are blowing up. 
and it looks a lot like with the uh, the explosions look a lot like the Power Ranger explosions. If, for all my Power Ranger fans out there, you remember when they would get hit with a sword or something, and all these sparks would fly off of them? That's what it looks like. I, it's weird to do movie reviews because all these things kind of start to weave together and you start you know seeing all these similarities and basically it's all because these effects labs are all working on all these different films and shows but anyway while this is going on Nadia she says that someone is accessing the computer and the captain of the ship is saying you know I'm the only one with the code there's no way that anybody can be accessing these computers and you see the screens and they're you know it's just you see thousands of pages just zipping through them real fast and then he says, it's download, whoever this is, is downloading everything. And then all of a sudden you hear this digitized screen and everything goes black and we fade in to our second start of the movie. So we fade into a tugboat out on the ocean. We're still out here on the ocean and we meet Donald Sutherland's character who is Captain Robert and Jamie Lee Curtis as Kit Foster and they are in one hell of a storm. And not only are in the hell of a storm in this little ass tugboat, but behind them they have this huge barge that they're towing with all these crates on it and everything else and the storm is just showing these huge swells the, the waves are gigantic the boats being thrown around everybody looks super nervous like you can tell it's it's bad and so the the boat starts taking on water and the crew is trying to figure out what to do because the captain is just kind of he's just kind of chilling he's just kind of staring at the water and he keeps saying like it's no big deal whatever and i will say this about uh sutherland's character throughout this captain robert he he plays a weird character. I just, I, I'm not going to say he was the wrong choice for that role. Maybe just his dialogue wasn't written well. I don't know. He just didn't, uh, he didn't really match the, the feeling of the rest of the film, I guess. I don't know. He was so detached. And I mean, that makes sense for his character as we go through the film, but I don't know. It just never really clicked for me. It never really set in. So I don't know. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll go on from there. So this little tugboat again, it's pulling this huge barge and people are trying to tell them, hey, we got to cut this thing loose or it's going to go down with us. And the engine crew comes up and they start talking to him and everyone's trying to get, hey, we got to cut this thing loose. It's going to sink us. And that's when he tells them that he's leveraged everything his whole life against this barge to get it back. And he didn't buy insurance. And about the time he says that, the chain anchor that's connecting the two snaps rips out of the boat. So now the whole ass of their boat is in the water and, of course, taking on water and everyone's starting to freak out. Well, as Kit and Steve, who is our engineer guy, Steve's going to be played by the Baldwin uh, brother. So they're sitting there really trying to get him when that thing pops off. So he starts freaking out and the captain just pulls a gun on Steve. He just pulls a gun on him because Steve was wanting to cut it loose. I'm sorry, I guess that happened first. He pulls a gun on Steve and he's like, you're not gonna cut that thing loose. I've got my whole life riding on that and about that time it pops loose. So yeah, he was gonna shoot Steve. And then Steve threatens him like, you ever point a gun at me again and I'll kill you or something. So a little foreshadowing there maybe, we're gonna find out. Anyway, after it pops loose, they realize they're taking on water, not as fast as you would think based on the damage that it showed on screen. But Kit is their navigator, and she plots them a new course. So they they go off, and which she tried to do earlier, but the captain wouldn't let her because he's kind of I'm in charge. No one else can tell me what to do. So he finally succumbs to her idea. They plot this new course, and you also find out through her character that she's going to be super smart. She's really intelligent. Her dad was an admiral, so she knows her way around a boat and navigation. She's not just some rando on the ship. She's a, an important part of the crew. 
So as they plot this new course, the reason for it is that it's the eye of this storm that they're trying to get out of. So they're saying if we can go and find the eye, we can chill out and try to fix the boat and figure out what's going on before we sink. Well, once they get there, they find an abandoned Russian ship. So Kit pulls out this humongous book that I guess has a bunch of vessels in it, uh, and she identifies the... Uh, the ship as a super advanced technological research vessel, and this thing is massive, especially compared to their boat. I mean, it is huge, huge, like a aircraft carrier size ship. And I think they even say in there that it's it's going to be the most advanced in the world. I think as far as like technology goes. So they decide, even though their boat's sinking, when they get there, that because there's no one on board and they're calling out to them and they do it on the radio, no one's saying anything. And the captain's first thought is, salvage. And the reason he thinks to salvage is because there's a, some kind of maritime law that says they can get a certain percentage of whatever it's worth, like the Russian government will have to buy it back from him. So he starts seeing dollar signs. And we really are getting the idea kind of heavy-handedly heavy that this captain's kind of a sleazeball and not to be trusted. So his character is defined pretty early. Of, of what we're going to expect from him. He's going to be a problem. We already know it. And there is a cool scene where Kit reminds him that she knows a lot about maritime law too, just because of her knowledge of, you know, uh, the ocean and sailing and all that kind of stuff. And she reminds him that if they find anyone alive on the ship, that they can't claim the salvage fee. And the captain just says something, you know, smart to her, like, well, let's not find anyone alive. And she's like, well, what is that supposed to mean? And he's like, no, I'm just saying, you know, let's not find anyone. He kind of blows it off, but we know what he means, right? But as of now, even that they've made it onto the boat, it's a ghost town. And not only is it a ghost town, but the place is trashed. All the computers are smashed. All these wires are cut and hanging out. There's bullet holes and just random places all over the ship. And you can just tell that something crazy has gone down here. We don't know what, but there's also no bodies. No skeletons, no bodies, no nothing for them to know how long this has been going on. There's also no power to the ship and no power to anything that will uh, drive or navigate the boat or ship. There's probably a difference. If you, if you do boating, there's probably a difference. And you're probably upset that I called a ship, a boat, or whatever. So if that's you, I, I'm sorry. Just educate me in the comments, right? That's what people do, I guess. I'll, I'll read them, sure. All right, so... Steve and his buddy, the engineers, they go down to the, the engine room and they decide they're going to try to find some way to power it up so that they can get out of there. And when they get down there, they find out that just there's just a relay that's been removed from one of the power boxes or whatever. So he just plugs that in, flips a switch, his buddy turns on the, the giant power switch, and boom, they got power back to the engine. And there is a cool scene with a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of giving you a taste of what's going on. So when they start the ship up, it does little cut scenes of different areas kind of starting up. And you get a real quick glimpse of things like you think you see something like, oh, what's that? What in the hell was it? Did I just see something bad? Was that maybe a body part or all these robots? What are they working on? Or this weird, you know, engine room thing. And there's this tech room with a bunch of wires hanging down. And it looks very throne-like, I'll say, with a bunch of... Uh, um, monitors and things like that they're all tied together and of course not knowing anything about the film you might think well this is supposed to be some kind of super advanced military warship whatever so of course that's just part of it but it just doesn't look right to the eye so it, you're you're uncomfortable already you don't really know what to expect like maybe that's supposed to be on this boat but maybe that has something to do with why there's no one here it's really it's hard to explain you'll see it when you're watching it you'll really uh, get that feeling which was cool for them to convey in just a couple of cutscenes. anyway so we see that and 
Again, it just doesn't look man-made, I guess is the best way to put it. It doesn't look human-made. But we see uh, a robot lab with all these arms starting to do stuff. And uh, we also see, I almost forgot, I think we see a robot spider in one of these scenes. We see this weird um, robotic, crudely made spider just kind of clinking around. So once this happens, we still have some people that are up there in the uh, navigation room, the they call it the brig or something maybe where they control everything and kit tells the captain that someone is controlling the computers because they flick on and they start flashing through a bunch of uh images and the captain just kind of blows it off he's like well you know this just must be some automatic boot up it must just be controlling itself and kit tells him that computers don't control themselves now there are a lot of lines in here that are cheesy and i will say that you know, obviously it's kind of building that suspense and letting you know, like, uh-oh, wait a minute, you're right. Computers don't control themselves. They they really spoon-feed you a lot of this stuff. But if you just relax and just let it happen, it uh, makes for a, a better movie. But I will say that Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie is uh, not the best acting. I don't know. Maybe has it always been like that and I just never noticed because of, you know, the hype of... Halloween and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe I just never noticed it before. But anyway, in this film, it's... Yeah, let, just let me know what you think. Watch it. Let me know what you think. So after this, after her saying that, we see a picture of an anchor on the screen, and the captain's like, well, I don't know much, but I know that's an anchor on the screen. Well, about that time, the ship's anchor releases, smashing into the tug that they had put on the side of the boat, and it injures Hiko. And not only Hiko, but the other guy on the boat, Woods, I haven't said a lot about him, but he's just a real dodgy character, and he'll coming to play later but uh he's the skipper from the last boat well as him and hiko the huge ship anchor falls down through the middle of their tug it starts sinking instantly it hit hiko's leg he can't move woods just bails on him just straight jumps out of the boat grabs the little life ring and just gonna leave him there so steve is gonna be our heroic dude he jumps in saves hiko pulls him up and then of course kit gets to work she grabs him and immediately starts putting a tourniquet on his leg. Now, this is also one of the few scenes where our crew is all together at once for, I guess, really the rest of the movie. They're going to break up after this. But Steve is kind of saying, hey, the captain, you know, he's giving orders and the captain has to kind of step in and remind him like, hey, I'm in charge here. You know, this is mine. Because, again, he's just seeing money. He doesn't want anyone to take that away from him. Anyone that he thinks is going to step in, try to do anything about that, just not happening. You know, he's the captain what he says goes, and he reminds Steve of that, even though he goes in there with this, you know, bleeding out from his leg, and, um, yeah. So while they're doing this, uh, Steve did come back up top to help out, like I said, but he did leave his partner down in the engine room, and he said, lock the door just in case, because they're not sure, they think maybe, at this point, they're thinking that there's someone left on the ship. One person, a bunch of people, they don't know, but again, they said the computers don't control themselves so there's got to be some more crew still on here that's messing with them or you know is going to try to kill them or whatever that's what they're worried about so when steve went down to the engine room his buddy locked himself in there when he left and so we cut back to him while he's down there he sees a cord being pulled through some ductwork. he's kind of lured in by it so he goes down there he's following this cord he goes into this weird i don't know air duct thing where the where the cord's being pulled into 
and we see it. I don't think he sees it. But there's a one of the robot spiders is pulling this cord in there. Anyway, he ends up crawling all the way in there. So his whole body's in there, disappeared from outside. And what happens? There's all these cables and stuff hanging around. It's very, you know, it's a tight enclosed space. It's got all these cords and you can kind of see what's going to happen before it happens. But yeah, all the cords end up wrapping around him, strangling him, choking him out. And he dies there in the ductwork inside the control of the engine room. So we cut back up to Steve. He sends two guys to go check on you know the engine room make sure everything's safe and on the way down there they find an armor room and they grab a shit ton of guns i'm talking shotguns a rocket launcher i mean just tons of ammo just bags and they got all strapped to him i think woods is one of the guys that goes down there uh and richie is the other character they go down there and he's even complaining like i can't carry all this shit and as he's walking out throws some of the weapons just down he's like i, I can't carry all this but they are loaded for bear for whatever else is out there. And again, them spoon feeding you, I think you kind of know like all this is going to come back later just because it's so random and the amount of weaponry that they have not knowing what's on the ship and thinking it's just other people. So anyway, they, they get all those weapons and they continue on to look for the engine room. And then we cut back to the med bay where they're working on Hiko's leg. Well, Kit is working on Hiko's leg. Now, while they're in there, they're kind of having a, I can't remember what the conversation's about, but it's nothing that's super important. It kind of kind of lulls you a little bit, kind of chills you out, and you're not really expecting much, and then, bam, the fucking locker opens, and someone in a gas mask and an Uzi just starts spraying. And that is one thing I like about this film, is they just, they are not shy about the use of guns in this film. And she just comes out, just posing them with this Uzi, just the whole room is exploding with gunfire. And I will say, I do love the use of heavy guns in this film and just the sounds of them. I mean, it's really loud and you can just tell, like, it just sounds, everything sounds like this really huge, high caliber weapon. Also, they're inside a ship. So, I mean, understandably, everything's going to echo and be a lot louder. But I don't know if they actually took that into effect when they were making those sounds. But, um, yeah, all the all the heavy uh, weaponry just reminds me of, like, an Aliens and Predator. You know, they just had all these huge guns that they were fighting, whatever it was with it and it just lets you know that like whatever they're dealing with whatever this alien threat is is that it's massive you know you can't just kill it with tricking it to walking into a you know whatever something that crushes it or a booby trap or something like that like you're going to need something big and heavy to deal with this thing so to me i just think it kind of adds to the the tenseness of it you know just it just creates that uh that sense of real fear that these people have as they're on the ship and things are getting creepy and another part, too, is that all these weapons are still available, and there's no one on the ship. So whatever it is that's on there, you kind of already get the idea that these guns aren't really going to help because they're all still there, and none of the people are. So whatever the threat was, I mean, they weren't able to get rid of it with these huge weapons. So, you know, with these high-caliber weapons. And, and again, that's just another part to me where it's like, oh, shit, you know, what is this thing? Like, how tough is this fucking alien? And another thing, if we want to get, like, realistic about it, I guess, with all these weapons, like, you're not going to shoot that stuff in a ship. You know, everything's metal. All, all of these rounds, what they'll do, I mean, maybe you know this or you don't, but if when rounds come out of the end of a weapon, the, the little piece of metal, when it hits other metal, it's going to bend and break and tear and roll and just cause this crazy reaction of uh, ricochet all over the place so you're gonna have shrapnel fucking everywhere especially with automatic weapons and you know uh high-powered automatic weapons so you know you you shoot i don't know let's just say 25 rounds or something like that inside of a metal box i mean everybody's gonna get hit with that so it doesn't it doesn't really matter i don't know if they really thought about that much in the film or maybe that's kind of what they were saying by all the weapons laying around and not being used i don't know 
But I know when these guys get threatened, they go freaking ham. So, you know, I, I don't know. We can really overthink it too much, but again, we're watching a movie about a space alien monster, uh, Ghostbuster electricity, so, you know, some things we just put to the side. All right, so we cut back to Woods and Richie. They're down there. They had just gotten all the weapons out of that one room, and as they're still looking for the engine room, I don't know if they just don't know where it's at or they're just taking their time, you know, kind of sightseeing as they go through, and they walk by a room that's like a machine shop, and there's all these little robotic arms like you would see in any kind of robot lab. You know, they're twisting around, and they're doing welding parts together and computer chips and all that kind of stuff, and there's a bunch. It's a whole room of them, so let's just say like 12 arms are all moving around. They're all moving, and there is no one in there. They're all just doing this just automated. And so as they're looking around in there, they start to see some weird stuff. There's this weird bat-skin-winged-looking robot thing hanging at the top, and while they're checking that out, on the counter, they see some more of these little robot spiders. Now, it's the first time they've seen them, but they see that, and they're checking it out. Well, while they're looking at it, fucking Wood gets shot by one of them by some nails. Not bullets or anything, but it, it actually shoots nails out of it, and they go into his shoulder. He doesn't die, but uh, Richie turns and just smokes this thing. All right, so that happens, and then, boom, we go back to the sick bay. Because, remember, someone just came out of a closet and started spraying with an Uzi, right? So there's a lot of things. That's nothing. Oh, man, the action just moves and moves and moves in this movie never stops and so we're just keep cutting back to each person's experience and that's a lot like aliens too and i think what makes movies like this cool is everyone's dealing with the shit you know there's no one that's just safe and chilling somewhere everyone has different things and if there's someone is safe you're just you're really nervous for them because you're like they're probably going to get it the worst because they're the most relaxed so we go back to the sick bay and it's a long story short uh it's nadia nadia is there she's the one that shot at him she was the one in the gas mask that came out of the closet and she's telling them that the ship was attacked by an alien electricity from the Mir space station. And instantly, nobody fucking believes her. Especially the captain. I mean, he just straight tells her that, hey, you're crazy, you're wild. And again, his character is so indifferent towards everything. It, it's just out of place. I, I don't know why they let him... Why the, why the director... I don't know. Let him... I don't know. Just watch it. You'll see what I'm saying. So Nadia goes on about how she's telling the truth. And she is out of it. So she looks crazy. She's all wild-eyed. And she does a great job of acting like someone who's traumatized from seeing everyone just get slaughtered on this ship. So she talks about how the alien electricity came down, hit their ship. It took it over. And the very first thing it did was blow the fire extinguishers that killed a third of the crew right off the bat with halon gas. Now, if you don't know... What is halon gas? Is that like some kind of chemical warfare agent, some kind of thing that's crazy like Russian chemical? Nah, halon gas, it just disrupts the chemical process that fire needs to exist and grow. That's all. So fire needs oxygen, heat, and fuel, and well, now they added another one that says it needs a sustained chemical reaction, but that's, <laughs> that's cool fire lingo. But anyway, it needs those things to create fire. So what halon gas does is it makes it to where the oxygen can't mix with the fuel. It just does some kind of chemical thing that blocks it out. Some people says that it sucks oxygen out of a room. It actually doesn't do that. It just fucks with the chemical process. So, um, But anyway, in this movie, it killed everyone. And it's basically a fire suppression system for places that can't have your typical normal fire suppression techniques. It being a ship on water and that kind of stuff since you can close off all these doors and take all the oxygen out of a room so to say that's what this is for but that's what it did it probably locked them all in a room set all these off they weren't able to escape or get uh, fresh air and it you know some movie magic and they all died it doesn't show it i wish it did maybe just show like a quick cut scene of something but it didn't and it was still just as cool so so anyway that's how a lot of people 
got iced really quick. And then she said the rest of them stayed and fight and died. And some of them abandoned ship and she doesn't know where they're at. They probably died at sea. But she says that this uh, electricity, it's an alien, but it exists in an electrical form. And it's using the ship and its crew to create itself in physical form. Oh, man, I just fucking love this idea. Absolutely fucking love this idea. I, I love the I love when there's things in movies where something exists in a way that's foreign to how we explain life and intelligence and consciousness and all that kind of kind of jazz. You know, it's 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 things just you know, this thing's just floating around for however long, millennia, the beginning of time, who knows, whatever, just waiting for the opportunity to find something to give itself a physical form. And I just love those concepts. You know, there's movies where, like, the wind is alive or there's movies where the soil is alive or the, the plants are alive or whatever it is, these things that we just don't think of, something that you can, you know, fight or study and deal with. You know, there's nothing you can do about this, like the blob or, oh, shit, what was that one movie? It's got Donald, it's got Donald Sutherland in it, too, where the thing comes from space with the plants. Oh, fuck, what is that movie? I just watched it. Mm, body snatchers invasion of the body snatchers that's what it is yeah so stuff like that I, I just love those ideas it's so much just it, for one it's awesome sci-fi right that's what makes it so much cooler than your run of the mill like fighting a ghost a haunted house a slasher film anything like that that's what makes these so unique because it really taps into a part of horror that is we have to wrap our brain around the concept first before we can even be scared of it. So, yeah, that's what uh, that's what makes this film and other films like it really cool. All right, so about this time, um, Steve is going to meet up with the other two guys, Woods and Richie, and they all meet up at the engine room, and they find that bitch freshly welded shut. So his homie's in there, welded shut. He's telling them that, hey, we've got to get in here. You know, I uh, can't remember the guy, the character's name, but he's in there because he doesn't know that he crawled into a duct and died. Nobody does. As far as anybody knows, everyone's still alive, but he's the first person to die that's on the ship, but no one even freaking knows about it yet. So as they're standing outside the door, it cuts to... Um, it, it, like Behind them, there's a, a, the silhouette of a man-looking shape in the doorway, and they're trying to talk, like, who is that? They don't know who it is. They're talking to him, and it lifts its arm and just starts shooting at him. So all the guys dive to take cover wherever they can. If you're familiar with how ships look, there are, you know, kind of little bit of uh, through the hallway, you know, where these doors are. There's a little spot you can dive into. They kind of dive into those. And remember, at this point now, they all have, you know, uh, shotguns and rifles and stuff like that. So they start shooting back at this thing. And we're going to cut back right in the middle of this, right as things are getting nasty. It just cuts back to the crew talking to, to Nadia. And so in this scene particular the captain is talking and it's the first time i've really noticed it but it's like he's trying to have an accent or he's trying to make a joke of an accent i think it's like he had an accent only in certain parts of the film so i don't know if that was something the director were like oh yeah you need to have uh, this type of i couldn't even tell you what it is but just listen to it and he does kind of have a little bit of a, a little bit of a something extra on his speech that's not just your run-of-the-mill you know american english stuff and uh yeah, it just, again, it's another part of his character that just doesn't work and takes away, it, it, like, it tries its damnedest to take you out of the fucking film, especially when all this cool stuff's happening. Now we got some kind of weird, you know, human-shaped thing that's shooting at people. We're really starting to die, you know, we've already seen some robot spiders and all this stuff, and then here he comes, like, with this stupid fake accent while he's giving, you know, busting Nadia's uh, balls, so to say. And, uh, so anyway, as the captain is giving her shit, 
he and Hiko say that they just don't believe her. She's all the stuff she's saying. They think, you know what? This is just some kind of Russian experiment gone wrong on this ship. And she's not wanting to tell us about it. She's not wanting to come clean about what's really going on. And they just don't trust her. Now, Hiko has been a good dude the whole film. But the reason why he doesn't believe her, obviously, is because ship anchor almost fell on his leg. And she's trying to tell him, well, it wasn't me. It was the computer, you know. So he's not really trusting her. But he's not necessarily being mean to her. He just doesn't, you know, he's just not going to trust her. All right, so as they're arguing about this, Steve busts in and he throws this huge cyborg-looking thing on the table in front of everybody. And this thing is our first look at the alien electricity in uh, human form, I guess, or what its idea of what it's trying to create a physical version of itself. So this cyborg is co- it's it's covered like you think about how RoboCop looked in you know back when the movies first came out, how his face looked with the um, mechanics and everything on the back was like rolled skin, like he still was kind of human parts or whatever. That's kind of how this looks, but in a very more horror film type way. It just has mutilated flesh just hanging off of it. It's real crudely fashioned together with electronics and cables and little video cameras, but the, the flesh and gore part of it is just really, really neat. I mean, it's just body parts, and they're just crudely integrated with all these other robotics and electronics and it just looks really good the the people who did all the special effects for this just really nailed it i think so as nadia is looking at the body of this thing she says it's her husband she looks down and she sees the ring which is the captain from the russian ship that we saw at the very beginning you'll you'll remember him and know what i'm talking about when it happens and so she goes up she says his name and the robot reaches over and grabs her and starts pulling on her and she was just talking about how she thinks they're still conscious so they're still their brain is still active you know even with all even though they don't have a body that they have this weird robot half robot body and it's just parts of them put on it that are still conscious of who they are and the people around them and all that but no one else is having it they end up just putting a a gun to this thing's head and just unloading on it they've already shot it a shit ton of times so we really we still haven't figured out how to kill these things. Now, she says, and it's, and then you notice it in the movie that everything is tied to cables. And I think it was Steve who said, well, yeah, this thing, when we, before we brought it up here, we had to cut a bunch of cables off of it. So that's where she is saying that, you know, these things need, that's why there was no power to the ship, because this thing needs power to the computers to build these things, and they need power to exist. So yeah, that's what they're doing. However, as they're talking about this, Richie finds that they have a power source in their brain and the brain still has blood in it and that it's not decaying. Mm, Does this mean that the humans are somewhat of a power source, kind of a Matrix thing here? Is this where Matrix got their idea? Did they rob the fucking virus of this? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. Either way, it's really cool effects because they just dig into this guy's head and you can see his brain and you can see a little monitor in there. And everyone's talking about how they can smell it, they can smell the rot and the burning flesh and the soldering smell, you know, uh, soldering electronic smell. Just really cool. They build the atmosphere really well with this scene. Another cool thing that we see in here is Hiko, when the robot grabbed Nadia, he gra- uh, he pulls out this, uh, this I believe it's called a Nifu Ati. And I'm probably saying that with the wrong uh, emphasis on the weird syllable. But anyway, he grabs that and it's that big hooked blade thing that you see in a lot of traditional Polynesian stuff. Because his character, with Hiko obviously, in in this movie is uh, Polynesian. He's got the traditional face tattoos and all that. Anyway, he just whacks that thing and cuts the arm off. And it's just badass. He had some badass scenes in this movie. And really was kind of more of a tough guy than Steve, even though he played more of the hero. But yeah, so... 
anyway, it, it is kind of a weird concept that they needed the cords to survive. And I really thought that this was, uh, it's, uh, it's maybe a commentary on technology that, you know, we're kind of phasing out, uh, I guess in 1999, you know, uh, we got Bluetooth and all these things that are starting to be cordless. And here we have this alien technology that shoots down and it's still primitive in what it's trying to do, even though it has all this advanced knowledge from reading the ship's computers, it's building all these cyborgs and, you know, alien animal or i'm sorry robotic animals and stuff like that but they, they all have cords attached to them and then you notice it for the rest of the movie so you know they're like a a weed whacker from the 70s you know you gotta fucking plug in which is not scary i thought you know it's not scary all right so as this scene is starting to cool down all of a sudden out of nowhere one of the characters looks up and they're like oh my god and you look out and there's this huge like 200 foot wave that's about to just come smash the boat. So the storm that they were running from, I guess they're in the, in the eye of it and it's starting to move closer to them. And you're like, holy shit, it's going to roll the boat. Like that's how big this wave is. It's also a really cheesy way to transition out of this scene, I think. All right, so this wave comes, knocks everyone over, knocks shit all over the place. The, the robot body thing hits the floor. Everybody's sliding all over the place. And there's a another one of the cooler scenes in here is the cyborg thing is on the ground and all of a sudden the skull just splits in half and the skull pushes itself out and it has fucking robot spider legs. It's a robot skull spider leg cyborg killing creature thing. How fucking cool is that? It looks a lot like the uh, in the thing when the head had the little spindly spider legs and stuff. Reminds me a lot of that. Maybe it was an ode to that movie. kind of has that same energy so I, I wouldn't put it past him. Now, when that happens, I believe it happens right in front of Richie, and he's kind of our gun guy, so he just pulls out a gun and shoots it with everything he's got in the magazine, and the thing just kills over. All right, so now, as a group, they decide to all get out of it. They're all back together again, the ones who are still around, and they decide to go back down to the engine room because they, they tell everyone, hey, when we went down there, the door was welded shut, and that's when this thing attacked us. We still need to go down there and figure out what's happening because now they're wanting to kill the power to try to, you know, eliminate this thing from being able to kill them. And they get down there and the guys, oh, Squeak, that was the guy's name in the engine room, Squeak. So they get down there and there's someone standing there and, you know, they're trying to figure out who the fuck is that. Well, it's fucking Squeak. Squeak comes out and, oh shit, what's happened to Squeak? Well, half of his head is like a video camera and he's got robotic parts and Woods goes up, someone goes up to him, I think it was Woods, and he, I mean, they have a conversation about something, doesn't really make sense, and he grabs Woods and lifts him up, and about the time that he lift, lifts Woods up, this robot thing just comes smashing through this wall. Now, again, this is some kind of Navy military ship vessel thing, so I'm sure all these walls are made out of steel or metal or something, but this thing just crashes through like it's made out of paper, rolls all the metal back, comes up behind Squeak, and just punches a hole right through the middle of woods just fucking just nasty right through his chest the little robot hand comes out and pulls back out now kind of bittersweet i guess because woods was kind of a turd anyway but it was the first time that everybody has seen someone die at the hands of this weird robot electric energy and this particular robot looks like a robot you don't see any weird bone fragments or pieces of a person attached to him it just is straight up robot technology which is different than squeak who still looks more like a human than a robot and another thing about that scene that stuck out to me was it almost looked like a sacrifice the way squeak held the body up and then the other robot comes out who is the more higher intelligent robot whatever and he punches a hole through him so it's kind of like a human sacrifice thing that's what it looked like artistically i don't know if that's what they were trying to do but 
you know, that's what it looked like to me. So they run away from there, they axe that idea, and they end up in a comms room. Now, when they get to the comms room, Richie seems to know a lot about stuff, so he gets in there and he gets a radio working and calls out a mayday a couple of times, and before he has time to say anything else, the captain shoots the radio. This dude, after all this stuff that's gone on, after they've already found a survivor, is still thinking about the money. The dude has lost it. He's gone crazy with everything that's happened. And uh, when he does that, Kit just walks over and just slugs his ass. Just right, just puts him down with one shot, punches him in the mouth. He hits the ground, and he has this stupid where he's just like, you hit me, oh, you hit me, and it's hilarious. So while that's going on, Richie has the idea. He says, hey, this thing is integrated into the computer. Let's talk to it through the computer. Brilliant. So he gets on the computer and he types out, you know, why do you want to kill us? And he's, the computer comes back and says that uh, humans, I don't know if he calls them humans first, but he says deadly, noxious, invasive, dangerous, untrustworthy, all these super bad words. And then they're like, who? Us? Like, who are you talking about? And then it's like, humans. And then after that, it gives them the def. I mean, this thing's kind of an asshole or smartass, really, because after it says all that, it gives them the definition of a virus. So now we learn that it's not necessarily that this thing doesn't like them in particular or doesn't like the human race, but based on the information that it's been able to download and process and identify threats to the world and that it's trying to exist, we qualify humans as a virus that we are the virus on this planet. So, you know, we have some uh, some commentary there. And yeah, that's where we get the, the title of the movie and everything else, so it all makes sense. Because up to this point, you're thinking that this thing is a virus on the ship. No, we are the virus. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. And so then they're like, well, okay, well, you know, but why are you trying to kill us now? And it tells them that it needs them for spare parts. Well, Richie says, fuck that. He smokes squeak, he shoots a hole in the wall, and he dips out. He's had enough of this. And he runs off saying, you're not going to use me for spare parts. That's not going to happen to me because he, he sees Squeak. And he's like, that's not how I'm going out. So he takes off. The rest of the crew that is in there is trying to figure out what to do because the big robot lord thing is still out there banging on the door. And he's punching the metal and it's starting to dent in. So they know they don't have long before it comes in and, and kills them all. And uh, I believe it's Hiko who says he has some kind of idea. He's like, hey, we're on water. So, you know, this thing's made out of electricity. What does water do to electricity? It grounds it out. Okay, great. Great idea. So they're going to put their brains together and try to figure out how to make that happen. So everyone else goes through the hole that Richie made, and the captain, he just chills. He just stays, sticks around, and hangs out. Well, we have a scene with the captain where he's just kind of hanging out for a minute, and the captain notices the camera up at the top of the room kind of moving around and looking at him and zooming in. And so the captain decides to communicate with the alien he said you know he's like you want to talk to me don't you he's like i can help you so he gets on the computer and he refers to himself as the superior life form and he's like i can help you just tell me how i can help you i'm the superior life form you know they all listen to me let's let's do this let's make a deal you know he wants to make a deal with the devil and of course like the devil he obliges and he gives him directions so we cut back to the crew that's running around and they go to a room where uh some of the other guys had seen that big not man-made looking thing that I talked about, which is going to, you know, that they look at as maybe like the uh, the headquarters or the big brain of the ship, kind of where it's pieced all these things together, where it has all its knowledge and can give out orders to all the stuff on the ship. They go there and it's gone. And there's just a bunch of little robot spiders hanging around, like clipping wires and stuff. And they realize that this thing is smart and it has moved its brain to somewhere else in the ship. And now we go back to, uh, 
to the captain and he goes to a door and there's like a robot bodyguard that's sitting there kind of eyeing him up and down and lets him in. And he goes into this beautiful set piece of just this macabre house of horrors. I mean, they're shredded bodies, body parts everywhere, just gore, bones, guts, and all this stuff. And all these little mechanical arms and spiders and robot flies and stuff are, are, are piecing all these things together. And he's covering his face, you know, and you can just imagine how bad it stinks, just burning flesh and rotten flesh and just all these things in this room. And it's a big room, so it's not like he walks in, it's like the size of a bedroom. I mean, it's it's huge. So there's, the the set design here is just awesome. So the captain comes in here, the alien starts to communicate to him through the computer and asks him again if he is the dominant life form. He says, absolutely. The captain gives him the plan that, hey, they're going to try to drown you out or blow you up or whatever. And he's giving away, you know, he's giving away the game to the alien. And the alien, he, he you know, he's asking the alien, like, well, how am I going to help you? And the alien shows him, like, this half, just a, a torso with, like, robot parts attached to it. And he's like, oh, well, there's no head. And then he looks over and he sees Woods' body all ripped apart and his head's laying there. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to use Woods' head. And I guess this is how we're going to, this is how I'll help you. Okay, great. So we cut back. For whatever reason, this part kind of jumped weird for me. We're, they're outside the boat. I don't know why the fuck the other crew is outside the boat, but they are. Big wave hits. Long story short, they end up losing Hiko because he tries to save Kit. And then somehow he gets wiped away in a wave. So now we just have Steve and Kit. And really just that scene was a way to get the two of them as our lone survivors. And it was a cheap way to knock Hiko off because uh, he was he was a badass. Yeah. R.I.P. to Hiko. All right. So those two go back inside and they run into Richie. Remember who had split from him after saying that wasn't going to happen to him. And he has just lost it. He's all crazy eyed and pulls a gun on him. And they're like, hey, man, it's us. Calm down. And we find out that he's made some kind of bomb concoction in the ship. And he goes on this big rant about being smarter than this thing. And that he was a weapon specialist in the Navy. And it's not going to get him. And, you know, just you can tell he means business. He's got oil, like, war paint stuff all over his face. And, uh, yeah, so he sees him, runs into him, and then just runs away from him. So he's no help at all. All right, so about this time... Uh, Nadia and Steve and Kit, I'm sorry, Nadia is still hanging around with them. They're still being chased by this giant big robot monster, and he's even bigger than the one that came through the door earlier. And so this is going to be our main, we'll say, manifestation of the alien with the robot parts that he had available. So this thing comes crashing through. And the animation here, the, the CGI and all that, it's not bad. It's really not bad. And I didn't say this about the other parts of the movie either, but most of it is just live action stuff. It's just prop pieces, set pieces, and it's all done really well. And since the CGI was used very sparingly, it really helped out. If they just would have CGI'd all this crap, it would have made the movie look like shit. But since it still had enough realistic, just, you know, good, well done special effects, it, uh, it kept this a really good sci-fi film, you know, that you could watch. Here we are years later, and it still slaps, you know. All right, so they're running from this thing, and it finally gets to a point to where they can't run anymore. And there's this big showdown, and from this point forward, the movie just kind of gets over with it, you know, I guess is the way I see it. Because they did have, kind of have this robot fight. There's all these things going on. Like, they get a leg up, then the robot gets a leg up. Then someone will come out and help one side, another side comes out. And so how this happens is the captain shows up when they're getting kind of the better of the big robot. And he is the weird, torn, 
torso with the robot parts and you see where he's been that where his head's just been ripped off his body and placed onto this thing but he's still talking like the captain so this alien thing gave him this robotic you know advanced life i guess is this thing even though he's got shreds of fucking skin and meat and bone and stuff hanging off of him so he comes in and he's like i'm still the captain here and saying some stupid shit well they just throw a bomb in him and kick him down a hole and he's dead so that's the end of him it's the whole point of that is really just to see him and his transformation into this, you know, mindless robot thing. And maybe that was the build up in the first part of the movie about him not having much of a personality. I don't fucking know. I didn't like his character. He wasn't shit when he came in and tried to help. So good riddance. He's gone. Big robot comes back and they're having a time with him. And so to get the better of him, Richie comes back. And this happens after the robot kind of beat everybody up he ends up taking kit and he's got her hanging by her hands by some cables or something like that and he's asking for more information about the bomb so he shows her the bomb that they had set to try to uh, sink the ship she's not going to say anything it crushes the bomb she realizes all hope is lost so anyway, this happens and i believe i don't think if, richie might have died before this not during this part I think he ended up getting killed by the big robot when he came and gave them enough time to get out of there. But they get captured anyway. So long story short, you know, Kit is captured. And what happens? Nadia shows back up and basically sacrifices herself so that Kit can escape. Now, there is a cool scene here where the 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 skin is all burning off. And it's showing like real effects and stuff in there. You can see just very faintly in the back of uh of this flame like a skull being with all the skin being burned off it's just a really cool effect so you'll you'll see it you'll know it when you see it so kit gets loose her and steve make it out to where richie had built all the bombs and all this other stuff and they realize that he's built an escape pod he's built an escape pod out of all the scraps and stuff that was laying around and set them next to these list missile launch um tube things and they get there they realize what it is because i think richie told steve at some point and this is it. They're going to make their big escape. But guess what? Escape pod is only made for one. It's just one little chair thing where you can lay down on it and get shot out of this tube. So Steve's telling her. He, he buckles her in. He's just like, hey, you go. I'll hold off this robot thing and die. And you can just live. And yeah, so that's exactly what happens. Puts her in there. He gets the little you know switch that's going to shoot it out of the thing. And the robot, the big robot thing, you know, he's peeling metal back. And he's coming through the wall. And it's all dramatic. And he's about to fucking kill him. And he comes up. And he's about to kill Steve. What happens? Kit grabs Steve in a lover's embrace, hits the switch, and they actually both fit through the tube, which it seems like he would have known that in the first fucking place because the tube's obviously big enough for the both of them. I guess he just didn't want to risk it, you know, and it like it, it's rather she gets saved for sure than both of them maybe die than, you know, maybe he's playing an odds game. I don't know. Maybe he just want to be remembered as someone that, that did that. Who, who the fuck knows? I don't know. Anyway, they both shoot out of the tube, no problem. And as they're going out, there's a cord attached to their little uh, chair thing that's shooting out. Well, Robot is looking at this cord. He doesn't really know what's going on. He follows the cord back. And what is it? It's a big fucking bomb that Richie made out of the missile launcher and some other uh, big missile parts and explosives that he had found down there and made this big bomb. So the string pulls those things as they go out. And the robot, you know, has one of those weird, like, squeak, like, uh-oh moments, and the whole thing just explodes. And that's it. That is the end of our alien, you know, really, they wiped out a whole species. What if we could have worked together? What if we could have, you know, I don't know, they just had to kill the thing because it wanted to kill them. I mean, maybe there was a different way. I don't know. We'll never know now, though. But, you know, isn't that the way of the virus 
us, right? Fuck that thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Call us the virus. Okay, we'll just wipe out your whole existence. So anyway, that's what happened. And that's the end of that. So we come to a scene where they're all floating on a piece of wreckage. Well, I say they all. It is uh, Kit and Steve are floating on a piece of wreckage like in the Titanic, which is funny because if you remember, this dude worked on the Titanic films, which I thought was funny because both these people are hanging on it. And just like in the Titanic, I believe both these people could have fit comfortably laying on this thing. Anyway, just a little funny call out there. They're on that. Kit wakes up first because she hear, she hears a helicopter overhead because, remember, they got that mayday out, so someone found him. And she turns around, and Hiko is floating on a boat just out there behind him. She's like, oh, shit, Hiko. And, you know, I'm super excited because Hiko is my homie in this film. And she turns around, she goes to Hiko, and she lifts him up and, like, moves his hair because he's got this long hair, moves his hair, and the whole side of his face is all burn up. And you're like, oh, damn, Hiko. And then all of a sudden, he jumps up and he grabs her, and you're like, oh, shit, you know, is he st- what is, I don't, he doesn't have robot parts, what's happening? And then she wakes up. She was dreaming. She's already in the helicopter with Steve. All is well. They are safe. And that is the end of the film. There's no weird, you know, where they show, like, a robot spider leg sticking out of someone's backpack. Or you look at the pilot, and he's got you know, his eye flickers like a camera lens or something. You know, there's none of those call-outs. It's like there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool because you definitely could have made some sequels out of this, but they didn't. They left it as a single film. And even though I've never heard of it, I fucking love this film. It's definitely going to go up there with some of my favorites as far as just being unique and a different kind of idea, especially back in 99. So check this movie out. It's called Virus. I had to rent it on Amazon Prime. Maybe you can find it somewhere else, but I rented it for like four bucks and some change, which, come on, man. This movie's a 99. I'm still paying almost $5 to fucking rent it. It's not, I mean, it's a good movie. I don't mind to help him out, but damn, five bucks, dude, 99? fucking almost a 30-year-old movie. Can, can I not? I remember back when Netflix was out, you could rent a DVD a month for like $1.25. I don't know. Super proud of themselves. Anyway, it's a good movie. And I got to do a review. So there you go. Check it out. It's called Virus. I am your host again. I am Just James. This is Just James Horror Review. You can check me out on all the socials. You can send me emails at justjameshorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Something you want me to review, comments you want to make, uh, you want to be on the show or something like that, just hit me up. We'll talk about it, see what we can do. But uh, yeah, this is a fun film. I had a fun time reviewing it. Check it out. Just James. Just James Horror Review. Take care. It reminds me a lot of the movies like Aliens and Predator. You know, they just have a bunch of heaven. Uh, Jesus. It reminds me a lot of heaven. Heavy guns, aliens, and predators reminds me of heaven. Shh. <sighs>